I pulled up my binoculars quick to just to see what it was. It was a Wolverine standing there with a backstrap in its mouth. Oh, man. <laughs> looking at us. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Tundra Talk. This is Tyler Friel and uh, hanging out today with my buddy, Mark Roanhorst. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Mark's a good friend of mine. Um, we actually met through our wives who worked together at the hospital. Our our wives basically set us up, I think. Yeah, which is a little. I don't. We won't get into that too much, but uh, might sound no. funny. <laughs> yeah, it sounds a little weird, but uh, but no, man, it's it's Mark's a good guy, and uh, I guess you know I kind of let you introduce yourself, and uh, Mark has not been up here a super long time, but. Some of the stuff he's been able to do through guiding and whatnot um, just has had a lot of experience that, I mean, more experience than the average guy that probably lives around here. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a, he's got kind of a unique story and like perspective on stuff. So yeah, sure. why, don't you, why don't you get into that, Mark? Yeah. A lot of it's not my own experience necessarily, not my own personal haunts, but like you said, through guiding and kind of just getting into guiding I've, I've gotten to do and see a lot of different places that I, I want if I wasn't guiding so um <clears throat> yeah well I grew up in Iowa and uh I didn't actually grow up hunting kind of interesting my my dad didn't really hunt I, I mean I can remember walking fence lines for pheasants you know maybe on Thanksgiving weekend once once a year or something like that um <clears throat> but then as I got into college my my brother, my younger brother started hunting with some of his friends and I, I got pretty interested in it. So I started whitetail hunting there, um, just doing, you know, the tree stand thing. I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> but, uh, that's where, where it started for me. And then after college, I, I was always a sucker for the mountains. And so <clears throat> once I graduated college, I, I gave it like two months to see if I'd, I'd get a job in uh my career field i guess my my degree and that didn't happen and and at the end of the summer i was going to move to a rocky mountain state wherever i could get a job i got a job uh, uh for a kid i knew in college his dad in montana so i moved out to montana um bozeman area and worked construction for a little bit and then kind of fell fell backwards into a job uh at kennetrek boots uh, there in Bozeman. And, uh, from there, the, the whole like mountain hunting, uh, backpacking, um, scene really got a hold of me, I guess. Um, that's when, as it, as it can do. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, that's when hunting got like real to me. Um, and, and working at Kennetrek, I had a great opportunity to, to learn from the owner there uh, got to hunt with Jim a few times and he showed me a lot and then working at shows I I was introduced to to so much um to western hunting and uh from there so I guess I was in Montana about five years um and then my wife and I were kind of kind of restless ready for something new and and doors opened up for us in Alaska. Um, <clears throat> my wife, my wife got offered a job at the hospital here in Fairbanks and, and we were like, well, we didn't have kids yet. And it's kind of like, 
bigger the adventure, the better. Yeah. So we went for it. It was like she got offered the job, and within a month, I was driving up here uh, with a, a full trailer, and I was going to park the trailer, and I I got a job as a packer um, to uh, work for a hunting guide. Uh, Which means slave, right? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> probably probably depends a little bit on on which guy you work yeah. for. Um, but but the first guy I worked for, it, it kind of was yeah the indentured servant type thing. Um, <clears throat> but it was good. I mean, so I got up here, uh, parked a trailer, and and you know I, he the outfitter just told me be you know be at this trailhead by August fourth, and we'll be heading out into the mountains. So. Uh, that was Central Alaska Range. So that uh, before I knew it, I was thrown into the bush. Um, I didn't have the horse packing experience that some of them had, so he flew me in. So I got dropped off by myself in this camp that I'd never been to. I didn't know. I didn't know where I was. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. You know, in just the middle of Alaska. And the other guys are packing the horses in and may or may not get there that day. And I just got dropped off. Plane flies away. Yeah. I'm like, see you later. What just happened? (laughs) What just happened? I I don't know. I I don't know where I'm at. This is crazy. So just kind of got thrown straight into the mix. Yeah. Yeah. And it sure sounds like it, but, uh, since then, I mean, you've told me you've been, I mean, covered a lot more country than a lot of people around here that I know. You know, like where all have you have you worked and, you know, well, or worked slash hunted kind of all over the state though. Yeah. Yeah. So just in those first two years, I spent, I ended up having to spend two years um, packing just because of the, the regulations to get your initial as, assistant guide license. Um, to meet those requirements, I, I had to do it over the course of two years. So that first year, I was a Central Alaska Range with an outfitter there, and then uh, ended up finding work with a, nif- a different guy for the next next fall. And that took me to <clears throat> the Eastern Brooks Range in Anwar. Uh, for sheep hunts and then his moose hunts are over western brooks range and then in october he does brown bear hunts in uh eisenbeck national wildlife refuge at the very end of the alaska peninsula so way way out there so just in that first year i got to just see a wide variety of alaska oh yeah basically from the the top right corner all the way down to the bottom left corner. I yeah. I mean, it's a lot of country. I, I don't know what. It's probably out to Cold Bay. I'd just be lying if I was actually made up a number to speculate, but I bet it's over 1,000 miles or 1,500 miles. I, I, well, logistically, it's certainly like 1,500 miles, but straight line, I I bet it is near 1,000. Yeah. I don't I don't remember exactly. Yeah, but. just huge. Now I had. Uh, you said it took you took you two years of packing. Like, what are the current regis like regulations for getting your assistant guide's license? Well, it makes a little bit of a difference 
<clears throat> if you grew up hunting here, um, like if you've been hunting here for 10 years as a resident, you, you don't have quite the regulations, uh, quite as much to, uh, fulfill to get that license. But basically <clears throat> what it boils down to is you need 60 days in the field, uh, working in a guide camp and then along with that 60 days you have to have um, participated in the spotting stocking and taking of at least three big game animals yeah which i mean is not is not a lot it's a good thing that they have those regulations yeah i mean yeah and i I guess i just thinking back trying to remember what when i filled out my form because I just d- jumped straight into the assistant guide role. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I'd already been, this was a few years, you know, well, getting to be years ago. But, yeah. Uh, you know, I had already been sheep hunting a bind, mm-hmm. had a lot of time in the field. So it's just interesting hearing, the, hearing yeah. what, it, what it's like. Because I remember you had to have hunted for at least like in two different calendar years or something like that yeah it got kind of convoluted but uh and one thing with that you know a lot of guys you know it's a lot of people's dream to come hunt up here and even just to have the experience and i think for a for a certain type of people or certain type of person um doing it through guiding is definitely a way to get that kind of experience oh for sure um and like Mark alluded to, you're basically an indentured servant when you're starting out. And it all, it all depends on where you're at, what what the the outfitter you're working for, or what you're doing. But um, typically, your initial, like, say, if you you know you want to have the sheep hunting experience up here, you're going to be a packer for a while, which mm-hmm. you're not going to get paid a ton, and no. you're going to be a slave. You're going to be you're going to be packing. That's all you're doing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And different different guides do it differently. I mean, there's there's a if you're getting hired for an entire season and basically as an apprentice, you're like you said, wages are low. I mean, you're going to work for anywhere from fifty to a hundred dollars a day, um, which isn't a lot. But if you work like sixty days straight. It's not that bad. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't know, I think for a lot of people, it's more, more about the experience and, and I mean, like anything, you kind of got to know what your end goal is. Yeah. Well, like, like you said, I wouldn't, if, if I, so I've been up here, I think it's, I guess it's been three and a half, four years and I would not have experienced near what I have if I was just pers- doing personal hunting, yeah. you know, I'd maybe do a fly-in somewhere. I'd, I'd mostly be doing a lot of walk-in stuff and I'd be doing, you know, personal sheep hunts for sure every year. But, but I would not be, you know, going to some of the remote places I've been in the variety of places. Yeah. There's no way I'd go to the end of the Alaska Peninsula. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of funny and I'm thinking about how to even say it. Like a lot of us residents will, I don't know, you know, you not guides or the guys that come up here to guide or whatever, but it it definitely is a fact. It's not it's not disputable that you do that is a way to get a lot of, of firsthand experience without doing it for yourself. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's like, you know, you guide a certain number of sheep hunters, like you're basically participating in the whole, in the whole thing, you know, I don't know, I guess I like to joke or, or say like, think in my head, oh, well, it's, it's not the same as killing them yourself. And in a way it's not, but you still are gaining that experience. And, uh, yeah, for sure. And that's, that's a really good way to do it, you know, and there's, there's guys and there's definitely the idea that you can, and guys have done it where they, they really want to go sheep hunting up here, but it's just not realistic to be able to afford it in the relatively near future. So they'll start guiding kind of with the idea that eventually they'll, they'll be able to get their hunt, which, which it does happen. You know, guys can, can do that, but, uh. I guess my only thing with that is I would caution that for outfitters, hunting season is busy and just, if you're going to go about that route, like go for it. If that's what you want to do, that's awesome. But, uh, look at it with a little bit of realism, I think, because there, there's a couple of guys I know that, it, you know, it took them quite a few years where, you know, every, you know, all right. Yeah. After, you know, after guiding for a year, you know. I'll take you and so we can do it legally. Right. But it seems like all the time, you know, stuff just gets slammed and, and seasons are short and, and, uh, it ends up taking a lot longer than I think some people expect, but it's still a realistic option. Yeah. Like there, there are guys that I know there's a dude in Montana that used to live up here, um, that did some guiding and, and he was still, he's kind of grandfathered in so he can keep his guide license and he would basically come up guide a hunt and and basically it'd be a trade-off with the outfitter then the outfitter would let him kill a sheep you know he'd have to have a guide with him um to make it legal but they're basically trading that he'd guide one and then he'd get to kill one yeah so that does happen but like you said you better know the outfitter that you're working with, you better have like a relationship because I mean, you come to work for an outfitter you've never met. You don't know. I mean, there's fly by night guys. There's, you never know what you're going to get yourself. Yeah. Into. Oh yeah. Really? I mean, there's, and definitely the, the bad ones stick out. There's a lot of really good, like reputable, um, like totally above board outfitters. For there's sure. some in the middle. There's some that are just totally sketchy. Yeah. And yeah. And like you said, you got to kind of, I guess, do your research and, and develop a relationship before you commit to burning one, two, three, four years and then end up not being able to, to actually go get one yourself. If that's, you know, kind of what you have in mind. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't necessarily care that much about getting one for yourself or you, you just, if anybody I guess out there is considering it, regardless of where you live, I mean, I had dreams of moving to Alaska when I was in high school, 18. And if I, if I knew how to do it, then I would have like, I lost, I don't know. I could be like, 10, 12 years ahead in my guiding career had I come up here when I was 18. And it's totally possible. But when I was 18, I didn't know that. Yeah. I was completely overwhelmed by the idea of it. So knowing what I know now, it's it's totally possible Yeah, for somebody to, to just come up 
work their tail off and and get going in it but um but you're gonna get thrown into some places that i guess i don't know you'll get weeded out if it's not for you that's yeah, for sure <laughs> yeah pretty quickly i think yeah yeah that's for but, sure but uh yeah so i don't know like one thing you know the guys we've had on here so far and a lot of the guys i know i think it's kind of cool or uh, you know a different perspective being relatively new up here and having hunted a lot um down in the western u.s like how and we've talked about this before with i talked to this frank about this but i don't know in your perspective like how are things different up here as far as you know because you did elk hunting and stuff like that down in yeah down in the states um you can get a wide variety. I mean, we've kind of had conversations about, you know, the difficulty of hunts or perceived difficulty of hunts. Um, you can you can have a super, super challenging hunt anywhere. I mean, I've been on super tough elk hunts mm-hmm. where, where I was just beat down. Um, up here, I guess, the main difference that I, I see is logistics is a massive thing. I mean, you've got like, what do we have? Five highways yeah, <laughs> and yeah. no trailheads. Not to interrupt you. If you hear, if you hear some squeal and stuff in the background, it's just our kids upstairs. <laughs> yeah. Our kids are about the same age and, yeah. and they're kind of best friends slash enemies. Yeah. Frenemies. <laughs> <laughs> so they, anyway. they, they spend a lot of time together. Yeah. Um, but biggest difference is I I guess there's maybe there's more a greater level of risk. I mean you can get you can get lost, you can get strung out, be having trouble um in the western US but you're just not there's nowhere that's as remote as places up here down there which uh, i mean you can get in trouble anywhere um but it's a a different level of stuff i guess yeah i don't know um so just logistically i guess the first like the first hunt that i did for myself was really not for myself but first time i was gonna actually pull the trigger was when my brothers and dad came up to caribou hunt Mm -hmm. um in 2016 and just just from like trying to organize that hunt for them uh talking to uh bush pilots and and just trying to figure out all the logistics i probably had 30 or 40 hours of of just like research planning on the phone just trying to make that hunt happen yeah and uh, yeah, I think just logistically it's, it's a different animal up here. Yeah, totally. It is. And that's, I don't know, people that haven't hunted up here that I talk to a lot. It's, uh, that's the biggest thing is logistics. You know, you can't, I don't know, you almost can't stress it enough. Um, it takes a ton of planning. I yeah. Mean, people, there's a lot of people that do come up and do do-it-yourself hunts from the lower 48 and and man kudos to them for making it happen that's tough yeah but it's uh i mean that reminds me of a couple different things um 
kind of little, I don't know, on the side, if you want to say it. I do, I do some, like, taxidermy prep work and, you know, basically fleshing and turning and, and salting and drying capes and stuff uh, a lot in the winter with trapping stuff. But uh, in the fall time, there's just even, like, little details that a lot of people overlook. Uh, one time I was working on some caribou capes for some guys or had it, you know, knew they were out in the field and they were going to link up with me when they got back to drop them off. And I get a call, like they were kind of overdue and I think it was a weather deal cause they'd flown out, but mm. I get a call four o'clock in the morning. Oh, we're at, at, I think they were at the corner of the old Steese and farmer's loop. We're here and, uh, we got to fly out in three hours. <laughs> And so, all right, get out, get in my truck, run down there, and uh, met up with them. And they had four bulls, you know, heads and capes and everything. And then, like, well, we, you know, we don't know what to do with our meat. They had four caribou worth of meat. And no plan. In the back of their rental, and no plan. Oh, man. And fortunately, I was in a place where... I could take it, and thankfully they took really good care of it. It was all clean and stuff like that. And then we ended up getting I, – I, I was super busy with work at the time anyway, but ended up just getting it processed and kind of distributed it amongst amongst the family. But uh, that, I mean, it was just like really you don't have a plan for you – know, you go whack all these animals and <laughs> you've got – a few hundred pounds of meat and you don't know what you're going to do with it and you got to fly out in three hours. Yeah. And the same thing, another, you know, I don't know, it wasn't last year's year before I get a call and these guys had got my number through the fur buyer I skinned for. I get this call. Hey, uh, can you, we got a couple moose capes that we need to get prepped. And I mean, a moose shoulder cape is, Weighs about as much as a brown bear hide, and it's it, it takes me, you know, I, I'm a little slow with those. It takes me most of a day to get one turned and, and fleshed and everything. Those moose are, are extremely challenging. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the nostrils on yeah, those things, you split get, in the nose. You get lost in the noses on those things. Oh, it's it's just a, a pain. I really old. need to practice a lot more of them. I haven't done near as many as I would like to have, but... uh these these guys call, you know, we got two moose capes, and I'm right. Well, how long have they been frozen? Like, well, they're they they haven't been frozen. We just got back into town. Like, well, how old are how how long they've been sitting around? Because because as soon as you you pull the trigger on something, the clock's ticking. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking in my you know fur prepping and and taxidermy prepping mind, and oh, well, they're few, so they're a few days old, which typically isn't a big deal but they're all oh, we got a we've got a same thing we've got to fly out this afternoon and i'm and i was just slammed at the time with other work and i i had to turn them down i couldn't take them so i don't know what they ended up doing but just little details like that like what are you going to do with your meat what do you you know what happens if you shoot a moose and you get back to town yeah. the day but the day before the day that you're supposed to leave you know yeah. And it's it's unfortunate because, you know, I don't know. I don't know how many people end up just throwing their meat in the dumpster because they don't, they didn't take, didn't have the forethought to plan right. for different 
different situations, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You really got to have your ducks in a row when you're planning stuff. Um, cause weird things can happen out in the field too. Even if you know, even if your plan is to fly out in three days and weather rolls in and they can't fly for another <laughs> three, four or five days, you might, you might be stuck out there for a long time and just knowing what you're going to do with your meat, having a plan to take care of it and hides too. If, if you got capes out there that you're wanting to do something with, you better have a plan. You better either really know what you're doing or, uh, have salt, know how to do it yourself. You might, you might have somebody lined up. Even if you have somebody lined up in town, you might not get there in time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so it, Know how to flesh your animal. Yeah, Just I think at least have some idea. All the things to think about and the the information you hear about planning a hunt and, you know, even if a lot of times on outfitted hunts, your outfitter will have all that stuff lined out for, you know. Yeah, for sure. They they take care of all that. and uh, But, yeah, especially the DIY guys, I think the the little details and sometimes it costs money, you know, everything costs money. Like I'll charge 300 bucks to, to prep a moose cape. Yeah. Well, maybe not that much. It's been a while since I've done one, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a chore, you know? And, uh, yeah, which really, I mean, for the work, that's not a lot of money. No. I mean, I don't think I'd do one for 300 bucks, honestly. Yeah. Um, but if you haven't planned for it and you don't, realize it that might sound like you get up here and you start spending money on this and that and things are adding up and it's like oh, i gotta have somebody i gotta pay somebody three or five hundred bucks to to take care of this i'm not doing that yeah but it's a legitimate chore yeah and and i don't know i think from what i've seen i think some people think you're kind of raking them over the coals taking advantage of them but I mean, there's there's all this stuff that has to get done that you might not necessarily think about beforehand. You know, you're getting your your capes prepped and maybe your meat butchered and mm-hmm. shipped to you. There's different options for that, but uh, um, prepping your prepping your skull or antlers to fly back on the plane with you. Right. You know, I mean, you may have to run to the store and buy a garden hose to cover your tines and then buy, mm-hmm. buy a roll of shrink wrap and, yeah. you, you know, all sorts of stuff. There's a lot of little costs that adds up or, you know, there's stuff you may have to ship back and you weren't accounting for that. And, um, right. so I don't know, I hear, see and hear about a lot of guys kind of getting overwhelmed with that Yeah, when they come up here. Well, and with, and maybe it's something you can do another podcast on, um, kind of preparing for that type of stuff, but with proper planning, you can probably have a good idea of, of what you're going to spend. Um, yeah. But if you don't plan well or you kind of end up falling behind and and uh, not knowing what you're going to do, you're going to end up paying a taxidermist to expedite stuff. That might cost a lot more than than you just prepping your horns to take on the plane. Yeah. Because, I mean, Alaska Airlines will fly them. Yeah. Um, which a lot of people don't know, and I think <clears throat> they probably end up spending a lot on having having a expediter do stuff. Yeah, when and they don't necessarily and it's have cost, to, and it's going to cost more. You know, like the the um, guys I just buddies that I helped out on their moose hunt last year. 
they stayed at my place and I didn't get paid for it. <laughs> so everything was above, I, you know, have to have to keep everything above board. It goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. But, uh, you know, they, you know, we went and they got the stuff to package it up and shit and take it on the airplane with them. Whereas I don't know what it would cost if you didn't get one of the, you know, someone that's driving through to, Oh yeah. To prep and crate, you know, a whole, like assuming you're getting your moose European mounted, if you're, if you're getting it, if you're getting it a shoulder mount or something, what they'll do, they'll cut the skull cap off and they cut it in half basically. So it, it makes it more uh, more realistic to ship, but you know if you're getting <laughs> a European mount, you got to crate that whole thing. You're talking about materials, time to build the crate, and whatever it's going to cost to ship it. It ain't going to be cheap. No, that's going to be super expensive. And I'll admit too, like on my uh, my brother's hunt when they came up here, we didn't have a great plan. We had an idea like there's. There's a guy that drives a, a semi-truck, basically, kind of the end of September. He makes a swing, basically, from Anchorage up up through Fairbanks, and, and then he drives the Alcan and all the way down. And I think he goes down through Montana and takes, I don't know if he takes I-90 across. Um, <clears throat> so you can meet him anywhere on that route. You can give him your meat. He takes a, a you know, a, a cooler van and... Uh, he'll haul stuff down but we didn't have a great plan for them taking stuff and and not everybody was able to fly with their antlers everybody killed it was you know five of us and just randomly my dad had a cousin in anchorage that was picking up a van to drive back to the lower 48 oh, man. so like the day before he was gonna leave he was in anchorage and and we found out about it. So my brother-in-law quick rented a car here to drive four skulls, caribou skulls, and horns, oh, antlers back down to Anchorage to uh, meet up with this guy, throws him in his van. You know, they get all the U.S. Fish and Wildlife paperwork and, mm-hmm. and everything for going through, driving through Canada. So he's got all that. The dude, <laughs> the guy was... Um, he was fine with it, I guess. He took them, but they're all raw, not boiled out, yeah, not frozen. Get not, stinky, they're they're just raw. So he shows up to my dad's place in Iowa. Um, he made it in like world record time. He made it in like three and a half days, which is, I mean, should should be a six with the day. windows rolled down. Maybe. Should be a five <laughs> or six day drive. Yeah, for sure. He had the windows rolled down. They said they will. They open that thing up and. It must have been just outrageous, like flies, the stench, oh. and he was riding that way for days. Oh, man, poor Can guy. Can you imagine? Oh, all rotten brains and stuff. Well, yeah, I know how it <laughs> smells. That is not, not pretty. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, man, just those little details. And I don't know, living here, we it's a lot of stuff we don't have to consider to well we do i as i'm saying that i'm thinking of all these different times guys have shown up with bear hides that they don't know what to do with that are mm-hmm. starting to slip or whatever and that's a whole nother topic but uh right <laughs> anyway i guess we could shift 
shift gears here a little bit. Uh, so you, I mean, you've told me a lot of pretty interesting guiding stories. I know you guided for for goats, you know, are still guiding for goats and brown bears down in the southeast quite a bit. Um, yeah. Guided sheep hunts, and that's funny because before we actually met. Um, my wife was telling me, oh, you know, this, this girl I work with at the hospital, her husband's, uh, at least the way I remember it, it's like, is, is guiding, you know, first sheep honey's guiding is for this, you know, some big time bow hunter and TV and stuff like that. And, and I'm like, oh, you know, like, well, has he been guiding much? Oh, no, it's his first sheep honey's guiding. <laughs> and I'm like, thinking to myself, I'm like, man, like, that sounds... Sounds pretty intense. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That was I was super intimidated. <clears throat> the guy that I I had packed for and planned to work for sheep hunts, he didn't book out. Um, so me being the new guy. So small story to interject, not to interrupt. Um, this is the same guy that gave me and Frank in a previous episode. I think we mentioned it. Me and Frank a ride back to like. Oh, that, the was, airstrip. A, that yeah. was the same guy? Yeah, same guy that gave me and Frank a ride after we killed our sheep on Frank's sheep hunt nice. in his Super Cub. So, small small world. Small world. Small Alaska. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, continue. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, um, I didn't uh, I didn't have work for the, the guy I would have worked for. So, kind of like last second, I, I went looking for other work to keep me busy during sheep season. This is... I just got licensed this summer, so these would be the first hunts that I was going to be personally guiding. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> he he ended up having two sheep hunters for me. Um, and the the first one was a n- normal guy, normal-ish. I, some headaches on that hunt. Um, but there was a lot of stress. He... But he did kill a ram on on opening day, um, and that's a whole nother story. Was this, wait, was this the guy <clears throat> that uh, you you tell me about? Because that may be a story to get into. That was sure you, you that do this both? other ram. <laughs> you want to do both of them? Yeah, we might as well. Okay. So, anyways, so I I signed up to work for this guy, and he told me he had this one guy coming back. Um, from the year before, cause he didn't, he didn't kill a ram the year before with him. So he was coming back. That was going to be my first hunt. And then the second hunt was going to be this guy that's going to be filming a TV show. Um, <clears throat> I was like, Hmm, my first year guiding, I'm going to have a guy and a cameraman filming a TV show. For one thing, I, you know, kind of get that celebrity hunter in mind and, and get kind of nervous about guiding a celebrity hunter um well it turned out to be levi morgan so i'm looking on him and he's obviously he's like the best compound bow shot in the world and uh so he's obviously going to be hunting with a bow so <laughs> so my first you got to remember everybody poops so <laughs> <laughs> exactly so we're going to be filming an archery doll sheep hunt for you know by my first well, my second hunt, I guess, that I'm ever guiding. Super nervous about it. Um, <clears throat> Levi turned out to be a really great guy. I'm super glad to have met him. Um, but, so the first hunter, if anybody's going on a on a guided hunt, 
for one thing, and try to respect what the guy <laughs> guy has to say. I yeah, guess. and not that you can't like interject. You you may very well have more experience than your guide, and and I was obviously quite green, um, and am still relatively green to a lot a lot of guys, but we uh, we were in like three or four days early before the opener and got to do some scouting. And it was clear this guy didn't, he didn't walk particularly well. I was like, hmm, I don't know if I'm actually going to be able to spike out. We got landed nicely high in the saddle. Um, so we're in a good location as was, but it was, we hadn't seen much for a couple of days. And I was thinking more than likely we're going to have to spike out at some point. <clears throat> but we had this group of, of three rams that were kind of hanging close to camp. And we'd been watching them. Um, None of them were full curl by any definition that I knew. Yeah. <laughs> but this client was, um, he was pretty certain he knew what full curl was and that one of these rams was full curl. Um, and I was fully confident it was not. And regardless, it was close enough that I did not think that we should shoot it um, because it's just too too close to call yeah and i I was pretty sure it was sublegal by curl so anyways we kind of just left them be to see if they'd hang around it looked like they went up over the ridge on the ninth so i thought they're gone well we got up on the 10th um didn't see him for a while and it was rainy and stuff so we hung close to camp and poked our heads out later on i went for a little walk and and spotted this group of rams and they had come back down and they were just like they were a mile from camp and um i kept saying i really don't think they're legal but but the hunter kept kind of pushing me saying well i really think i think that's definitely full curl like well we can go see if we can put on a stock and and get closer see if we can get a closer look and see what he looks like <clears throat> maybe maybe he's actually broomed maybe he's age legal um, yeah so we got up there and and kind of a long stock and ended up getting to like 400 a little over 400 yards and we weren't going to get any closer um so i'm sitting there trying to dissect him through the spot and scope and really taking my time and i'm like that ram as as far as any definition i'm aware of is not does not cover 360 degrees yeah of a circle and it's, it's a not little a full and curl. it's a little tricky i mean they've i think the new stuff well whether it's the new definitions or the information fishing games put out recently is a little more informative yeah the yeah, way it was a- in the regs like i've never seen a sheep that grows in the configuration of the one they have drawn in the regs it just of doesn't it's extremely unusual that they grow exactly like that one so right. a lot of it's like left up to interpretation and shoot i mean pretty much every ram i've killed or been with a guy that's killed we kill them like we've looked at them well like pretty thoroughly and are sure enough to pull the trigger but you still like still get butterflies like walking up to them Oh, There's yeah. been, you know, <laughs> like the one the one I killed last year. There was no question, you know, he was a one looker, for sure. But uh, for most sure. of them, 
you still get nervous walking up to you. So I, oh like, yeah. And all those feelings are compounded when it's your first, your first oh, yeah. client. Yeah. I'm super just nervous about, about screwing it up, especially on the first go. Um, <clears throat> so anyways, I'm sitting there just sweating it. And this guy, he's, he's being like aggressively pushy. Like he's like, I can see that thing is full curled. Let me shoot it like that type of thing. And, uh, we're sitting there watching for a while. And he says, do you, do you care if I get set up in case you say he's legal? And I was like, sure, whatever. Yeah. I'm sitting there <laughs> watching, just stressing. I'm like, I, I just can't make him full curl, but I'm sitting there, you know, trying to count rings and everybody that I've worked for is like, I strictly do not want you shooting based on age. Yeah. And if you do, you better be absolutely certain it's nine. You know. Yeah. Because you know it, the age it, regulation is eight, but he's like, it's too easy for there be to be some sort of false ring or something or something you can't quite yeah. see. So. And I mean, we like you know earlier episodes talked about how tough it is to age some. You know, every once in a while you get a ram that his rings really pop, but mm-hmm. it's it's not easy. And yeah. I'd not recommended for. <clears throat> yeah yeah for the novice no for sure and i certainly did not want to do that on this first one um so i'm sitting there i have that in the back of my mind and and just i'm not a super uh, i guess i would say i'm personally not like an overly super confident boisterous person like I was nervous to tell him no. Yeah. Um, which is not a good position to be yeah. in as a guide. So he kept pushing me and I'm, and I'm just super stressed out. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm, I start praying. I'm like, Lord, either, either just like make it clear that he's not legal and like, give me the strength to be confident and tell this guy he cannot shoot it. Or make it obvious, you know, yeah. that he is legal. And uh, <clears throat> uh, the hunter got sick of waiting, and he basically turned around and said, I can see clearly through my rifle scope that he's full curl. I'm going to shoot. And that obviously kind of perturbed me. Oh, yeah. But it was like at that very instant, the rings popped like everything just glowed and I was like, he's eight, you can shoot. So he kills him and uh <clears throat> we walk up there and I'm I'm still, you know, super nervous. I mean, in hindsight it's it's not a ram we should have shot. I mean but at that moment I, I did have that clarity so which I was super grateful for. <laughs> um <clears throat> but we got up there and counted and and as far as we knew he was eight. He still called him full curl, even though I, you know, kind of held him at every angle and showed him why he's not. Yeah. And and needless to say, it didn't really hurt my feelings when uh, the pilot that the pilot came the next day brought him out, and then I was in there for like four days before they flew in my next hunter. The pilot flies back in, and he said uh, that hunter had to uh, he had to go to fishing game and check in the ram himself. And the techs called it seven. Like the guys that were checking in yeah. called it seven. Definitely not full curl. 
not broomed. <clears throat> He's uh, and they were going to seize it from him. So you had to spend some time with the troopers, huh? Well, no, <laughs> it it didn't get to the troopers yet. He was apparently he was there for a couple hours arguing with the techs until finally they got a biologist to come. A biologist called it eight, but I didn't I didn't feel super bad that. They yeah. kind of, <laughs> they busted his chops and and made him you know no yeah. it's, it's not full curl. maybe a little bit of a reality check there but for yeah. him but yeah but so then on the next one yeah Levi and his camera cameraman came in and and they were super cool to hunt with um, Levi was hunt with a bow um, a few days into the hunt we got on a on a just a smoker ram and it was just one of those no doubters yeah i mean we we first spotted it from like three miles away across the drainage and it was even at that length for a novice like me it was a no doubter yeah when you see a ramp from from over a mile and especially you know when you see one from three miles that's like that mm-hmm. it's a big weight off your shoulders as far because the legality issue is like it's a big one and it stresses you out i mean yeah. I'm fairly experienced sheep hunter myself and and it uh over the years I can think of a lot of times <laughs> where spent a lot of time a lot of hours looking at a ram just stressing over this mm-hmm. even though you know you get them on the ground and yeah so yeah I <clears throat> I know what you mean when it's like yeah there's no doubt from mm-hmm. that far yeah yeah so uh we ended up getting uh we spiked out over uh, by that ram and ended up getting to we're kind of pinned down at like 500 yards and and couldn't do much else um so he was sitting there kind of debating you know he we know it's a really good ram and i guess he evaluated that the country he didn't feel like was very suitable to to going home with something that he killed with a bow so I'm sure I don't know if if what he films is is going to make air or not but basically um he ended up deciding to use my rifle and killed it with my rifle and and he's after you know the North American 29 with his bow so he'll go back somewhere for a doll and with the bow um but that ended up being you know a 40 inch ram Yeah I mean just a killer ram Yeah and he was just uh, I want to say he ended up being like four inches shy of book. Yeah, so just like which is a it, it, it takes a tremendous sheep to make book. Yeah, doll really sheep does. is one of the hardest, right? I mean, I would say as far so, as I'm aware to make make book that I mean, that I, and like I've heard non typical muleys are are really tough. But yeah, it it doll sheep be, book is because it take you know like we we talk you know forty inch ram like. And that's just the length of the horn and so many, you know, there's a lot of guys up here, you know, whether up here, I don't know, everywhere, but, you know, like everybody talks score with deer. Mm-hmm. Um, up here anyway, traditionally, or what I hear all the time is length for a doll sheep. Right. You know, there's some guys that, that throw around the, the score for a sheep, but. I don't know. The main it's it's like shooting a forty inch ram. You know, like you have a thirty inch wide mule deer, or a sixty inch moose, and I don't know. I mean, I'd say forty inch rams are quite a bit less. It's more like shooting a seventy inch moose. 
Sure seems like that. I you mean, know, they're, they're rare. They're yeah. The, even in country where there's a lot of sheep, there's you know all the the things that have to line up right for a ram to make forty. You know, you got genetics. A lot of a lot of sheep will never ever make forty in their entire life. Right. Genetics oh, for sure. Genetics, food, good winners. Um, even in good country, you know, there may be a lot of rams, not many that make forty. I mean. Where we were hunting up in the brooks, kind of before they before they winter killed pretty hard, we'd see probably 150 rams in a hunt. Like that's insane. 30 league, like on average, probably 30 legal rams, and you know, just try. Uh, sorry to, to leave you guys hanging. I'm just like thinking back in my head. Um. Usually would you know one of us of you know, we'd go and you know, like four of us would usually go and one of us I think most years would see one forty incher. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's Houdini we talked about in one episode that he was just a, turned into a giant ram, but uh, yeah, they're just, it's just not a common thing. So yeah, for sure. You know whether you know I could care less. I mean, I I sympathize with his position because. Whenever I do finally decide to take a bow, I know there cannot be a rifle there. Just can't be because I'm going to use it every time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you there. Of course, I'm a little green compared to you, but um, it's going to be a while probably before I attempt with a bow. But that being said, I don't do a lot of personal hunts. I I did kill my first personal ram this year. Yeah, yeah. And I want to hear about that in a second. I was just going to interject. I actually thought the thought crossed my mind about getting a compound to kill a sheep with because I know I can get, you know, shooting a recurve long enough. Like I know I could do it with a comp, but the trad gang will rough you up. It'll be bad. It would be bad. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it, but yeah. And that's not knocking on guys shooting with compounds either. I just, Oh man. (laughs) I I did. And I, I did seriously have some consideration of it, but I just finally said, you know, well, when I'm ready, I'm ready. I mean, I like shooting yeah. stuff with a rifle. I like rifle hunting. I like bow hunting. I like everything. But uh, so, yeah, you did finally get your get your first personal ram last year. Yeah. Yeah. I had a – really, it's only the second personal hunt on I've been on. And that's only due because I – due to uh, – having another family member that wanted to come up and hunt. So I had a cousin from Washington state come up <clears throat> wanting to caribou hunt with me. So I, I held off on guiding sheep hunts this past year and, and took him caribou hunting. And I really, I wanted to turn it into a, into a sheep hunt. Um, but I was having a hard time making that happen. Um, for one thing, kind of where the country I wanted to hunt, I I couldn't find anybody that had any super cub guys that, that had space for us. Um, and the, the air taxis that could fly us didn't want to put us where I wanted to go. Basically they kind of limit the, the strips that they use. So I kind of threw out the idea of, of making it into a sheep hunt. <clears throat> um, and kind of just booked for, for this standard drop-off area and um, started doing a little deeper research and 
it's kind of hard to hard to find, but I did find some historical sheep data from way back that there was mm-hmm. there was a small isolated sheep population in this area, and but we only had we were only going to have seven days all together and two days of flying, so that's yeah. five days of hunting. Yeah, not a lot of time to get stuff done. Um, so we we flew in and and we had time to do some hiking that day. We hiked about three and a half miles. Um, you know, I was really focused on just getting them at caribou first, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to push things, but but uh, knew in the back of my mind, you know, there should be a sheep population yep, <laughs> somewhere yep, up here. The clock's ticking. And Let's it, get this done. And if we get time, man, I'm going to make a push for it. Um, so anyways, we got time to, um, get up and get camp set while it's still light the first day of the day that we flew. So we can't kill anything, but we got to see a lot of country and, and actually got to see a lot of caribou that day, which was good. It kind of gave my cousin an an idea of what he was looking for. Unfortunately, we saw a a really nice caribou that day. Yeah. Um, so that kind of set the bar high for him. The next, uh, the next morning we, we got to see a whole lot happening. There was a, we saw a grizzly, um, just a couple hundred yards away from camp and he was, he was feeding on a caribou carcass that, uh, that some previous hunters had, had shot. And then out of the corner of my eye, I saw something streaking across the hillside, kind of in the direction, general direction of that bear. And I saw, I looked and it was, it was another grizzly bear just beaming towards that other bear. And then I was looking behind it and there was, there was something small, two small little dots. And it was, one of them was like white and one was black. I was like, are there wolves chasing this bear? What's the deal? And uh, got the spotter on them. And it was the whitest little grizzly cub you could possibly imagine. Huh. And the blackest yeah. <laughs> grizzly cub you could possibly imagine. It was incredible. It looked like a little polar bear. Wow. I mean, when it actually stopped, you could, you could look closely and see like a, a little bit of frosty coloration on its the back of its head and neck, but it was, I mean, it wasn't like blonde. It was like white. Wow. It was bizarre. I've never seen anything like that. It was bizarre. Yeah. And I've, I've got some video of it. I'll have to do something with, um, but anyways, we ended up getting to watch a lot of caribou and, um, my cousin Chris's, uh, standards were a little high. Yeah. Um, so we kind of just did some hiking and we were going to just wait and see what he found and, you know, give them time. But we ended up hiking to, uh, further up to this ridge where I knew from that ridge, we'd be able to see like the main mountain and whether sheep were going to be on that side or not, who knows, but I knew we'd be able to see it. Yeah. So we got up there like midday that first day of hunting and the, the mountain was all clouded up. We couldn't see anything, but we sat down for a while and some caribou, uh, one of those young little bulls like walked past us at 15 yards and watching that thing kind of messing with it and doing the 
dumb caribou thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but watching this mountain and kind of watching through the spot and scope as much as possible. And there's a little break in the clouds and I thought I saw something white and, uh, watch for a while. And, um, a nice, nice break in the clouds came and yeah, there's a sheep. This is like, it's another probably six miles, you know, up the mountain mm-hmm. long ways away, but definitely a sheep. So we watched for about an hour and, and ended up, I couldn't tell if they're rams or anything like that. It didn't have good enough visibility, but ended up seeing there was at least like a half dozen sheep over there. So pretty jacked up. Yeah. <laughs> so we uh, started back down towards our camp real slowly. And this, this other group of caribou came up and, and there was a decent bull in that group. And, uh, I was ready to get things moving and my cousin, uh, turned that one down. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, he's like, I don't, he's like, I seriously don't care if you shoot it. And I was like, I had told myself, you know, I'm not shooting anything till he tags out, but he's like, I seriously don't care. And I was like, well, we got to get the ball rolling here. Yeah. So I dropped that caribou, that bull. And that wasn't a bad bull. It was a nice no, bull. Yeah, it was, it was a good bull. I liked it. I thought it was cool. Cool looking bull. Uh, so I was good with that. Anyway, to speed the story up a little bit, I guess we, it's like, it was just an action packed hunt. So it's hard to tell the story quickly. Yeah. But we were uh, packing that back to base camp and we were going to kind of, we were going to stash the meat up on this ridge where we could tarp it and be able to see it from a long distance off if we ended up chasing sheep. Mm -hmm. So we packed it down there, uh, stashed that meat and then started towards our camp. And all of a sudden on the ridge across from us, there was another, there's a group of bulls moving through. And my cousin's like, there's one in there that I want to kill. And and it turned out to be a really, really sweet bull. And all these caribou were filtering through the same saddle. So we basically had to race these caribou. And caribou don't seem like they're doing anything a lot of times. They don't. They just seem like they're kind of just wandering around hap, hap, haphazardly. And, but they cover some they serious do. ground. Like, I... I got... I don't know. You hear a story or guys claim to like walk them down. No. I've never seen any any human being be able to walk down a caribou that's just meandering. If they're past you, just don't even try. I mean, yeah. they, I don't know. It just never they, seems yeah, to Yeah, like work you out. said, they look like they're not doing anything, but just a casual strolling, feeding walk for them like you can't keep up with them man they cover ground so we're basically they're the ridge across from us but they're gonna filter up through this saddle at the top of our ridge so so basically we uh we had to race them back up the ridge so we we were hoofing it as hard as we could to get back up there got up there and got we did we cut them off by like 500 yards and got all set up and he was sitting there ready to ready to kill one. And I'm running a camera and I was talking to him. I, I looked at him and over behind him I saw movement, which is it's on the ridge basically where we just came from. I 
I I think I put the camera on it or I pulled out my binoculars quick to just to see what it was. It was a Wolverine standing there with a backstrap in its mouth. Oh man. <laughs> looking at us. Like it was like two hundred and fifty yards away. And it, it was moving our direction. So it had like we had dropped my meat like an hour prior. Jeez. It had already been on our meat cache carrying one of my back straps off. Oh man. I'm like, oh that little bugger is gonna gonna get some lead. And uh so so I was like, shoot your bull, because I'm gonna shoot that Wolverine here yeah. right quick. Um we had to give it a little time and, and he ended up shooting his bull. Super, super nice caribou. Really sweet looking. Um and I tried to get on that Wolverine and, and he during the shooting melee and stuff, he'd ran off to about five hundred yards and and I never got a steady steady crosshairs on him, so I didn't end up pulling the trigger. Um so we got his bull packed up and back to the stash and headed back to camp and got a short night of sleep and took off for sheep and uh, just bombed up the mountain. And we made it We made it to within like two miles of where we had seen the sheep the day before camp that night and then, and then headed up after them. And we relocated three of I don't know the six or eight yeah rams that were up there and uh you know found three rams and then by the time we we stalked around this you know pinnacle peak um they had moved I guess you know from nighttime or early morning feeding areas to where they're going to bed midday kind of on the north yeah. side it was we had pretty nice weather so they're going to bed up in the shade on the north facing slope well, <clears throat> um, by the time we got over there, there was only one ram, and then we lost him, and and ended up just kind of going where I thought they would go, just creeping across this boulder slide as slow as possible, and and kind of peeked around the corner, and all of a sudden, right there at two hundred yards is a ram, and it's the only, it's just one ram out of yeah. how many that we ended up getting on and he was a he was he was close like he wasn't super huge ram or anything so i watched him from like 200 yards for probably a half hour but before i decided to shoot him but he gave me a lot of good angles got a lot of good video of him and stuff and sitting there counting rings he doesn't have super distinct rings so it's kind of hard to count them and that's another to me yeah and we'll least. get into that after you finish your story. <laughs> yeah, I'll get your take on it. Um, but anyways, you know, the that new publication that f- the fishing game came out with, um, I could tell, you know, I was like 99% sure he was full curl. I was basically sure he was full curl on his left side. And he'd passed what they call the stick test. Um, I could he would definitely pass that on his left side and then counting rings i i couldn't really say for sure they just they don't stand out like like some rams do um but there was enough going on there i was i was fairly confident he was at least eight so killed him and he all further you you know 
if he's full curl, he doesn't have to be eight. Right. But, you know, it's nice when you can get two ways that he's for sure legal. Yeah. Yeah. Check as many of those boxes as he can. But even after all that, sitting there watching him 200 yards, you know, 60 by 80 spotting scope, I'm still plenty nervous walking up to him, you know, Um, but got up to him and he was definitely age legal and definitely full curl and all good. Yeah. He was a pretty unique looking sheep. Like he's one of those real wide ones. He was over full curl. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, after Mark got back into town, I came over and took a look at him and uh, just just a different one, like super wide, kind of long horny one, but it sounds a little weird, long horny. <laughs> but uh, yeah. he's a you know, wide ram. He comes out super wide, but he's really, really shallow. Yeah, shallow, he's but so he's... actually not long. Yeah, he's not super long, but he uh, he's over full curl, and I think he's 11. Yeah. He's... And I spent some time, like, I you know, my, my official prognosis is that he's for sure 10 possibly 11 there's one one short year in there if it if it's a real one it's a short year but it has i mean from what i could tell all the characteristics yeah i think they called him nine but it wasn't the actual biologist that looked at him no yeah it was a tech at fishing game and they they called it nine and and i didn't really I didn't argue with him. I didn't care. I guess it's legal, but like you, and I mean, I'm going off what you say for one thing, but I'm confident he's 10 and potentially 11. Yeah. I mean, it, it pretty plain as day to me, you know, being able to hold him in your hands and yeah. spent quite a bit of time looking at him. I mean, but yeah, so it was, uh, but he's not broomed or nothing, and he's only he comes out like surprisingly wide, but he's only thirty-one inches long. Yeah, and over and full curl. Races. Yeah. So it's definitely interesting the variety of yeah. You just even in, even really in, shallow and really shallow. even in one a lot of times in one mountain range you get a pretty wide variety of genetics. You must because there's rams very different that come out of. Not far from there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, where I killed mine last year and the one I got last year was a, uh, I think, you know, it seems like there's two main like genetic pools in that area, like the tight shallow and Mm. the deep heavy. Mm -hmm. And mine was one of the tight shallow and he's impressive looking. He's not as big as he looks, but, uh, I mean, still a great rant. Like I was super stoked to get him, but, uh, I'd killed both of the other rams I'd killed in that general mountain range right there had been the deep heavy, you know, and the one my my buddy Frank killed the day before, you know, we got a really good look at him and knew he wasn't full curl, but we're 100% that he was eight and he ended up being nine. But I don't think that ram, you know, with nine with 14-inch bases and he wasn't even full curl, mm. and I don't think he would have ever, I think Fish and Game called him full curl, but he wasn't. I don't know what they were smoking over there or mm. Well, I know who looked at it. It wasn't wasn't any of my the the guys I know over there, but uh, yeah, it, that's just interesting. Like, cause that that was a ram that I don't think would have ever actually made full curl. Yeah, he just had slowed way down, but he was he was a way bigger ram than we thought he was when we decided to pull the trigger. Yeah, for sure. 
those are a couple nice rams yeah yeah it's always nice when you can knock them down on the ten, on the 10th and 11th <laughs> yeah for sure yeah well, so then to kind of finish off that hunt i mean we were up against the clock to get back before before the air taxi came back to get us so killed that sheep on the third day which i thought that we could hunt the third and fourth day if i had to kill the ram on the fourth day we had we had not a bad pack out for sheep i mean it was like it was probably 10 or 11 miles which i've done a lot worse yeah um <clears throat> but we had to go back and get, get our two caribou. caribou two caribou yeah so we uh we packed that thing out the next day all the way to the airstrip just went straight to the airstrip when we crested the ridge to to see where our um, caribou were um there was a jet black wolf or as far as we could tell black might be blue but a sweet looking wolf circling our our meat cache oh man um so we were all excited about that and just another super cool thing to see. Yeah, we you guys. There. In the time that we were there, we saw so much. I mean, four grizzlies, and wolf, wolverine. Wolf and wolverine, that's more than a lot of people hundreds, see in years. Hundreds of caribou and then those sheep. Um, but hammered back to the airstrip, got back there late that that night on the fourth day. Then the fifth day, had to jam back and, and get our caribou and pack them out. It's about four miles. Um, but we each had to take our own, which was carrying a whole a, caribou on your back's rough. A decent load. Yeah. And I I thought that I thought that we'd even out the loads. It was it was weird. Like his bull has a lot more antler than mine. Well, it doesn't have as much mass, but there's there's more there. But body size, there was like mine was a third. I guarantee thirty percent bigger. Wow. It was, it was insane. I've never seen that that type of variation in two mature bulls. Yeah, I mean, you wonder if yours was maybe on the downhill and was just a bigger bodied. Or hit. It, it was definitely older. I mean, yeah. definitely, definitely an old bull that I killed. And, I, and caribou genetics is a whole different thing that I have no, absolutely zero idea. What yeah. I'm talking about, caribou or caribou, to me. but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're bizarre critters, that's for sure. Um, but anyways, he he didn't offer to help out with mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, we'll see how see how that works. But we uh, we got in just before dark and just before we got pummeled with a high quality rainstorm that night. Kind of got back just before the buzzer. Yeah. The last day that we could be out there and plane was coming first thing in the morning. So it was an action packed, action packed, Man. you know, five, six days. Yeah. That sure sounds it like was, it. It was sweet. It was a good, good hunt. Yeah, Mark. Thanks. To ha- <clears throat> uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, it's been a great time and I'm sure I'll see you soon. So <laughs> thanks for having me on. I'm so pumped that you started a podcast. Like, it, definitely. I think you can vil- fill a void here and the ones that you've had out so far have been have been really good i've enjoyed so thanks man yeah you'll do well i'm certainly hoping so but uh thanks for listening everybody if you got uh any questions comments or grievances you can email podcast at tundratalkak.com and uh look forward to hearing from you and thanks for listening